0: Good afternoon. It's Dr. Dan Guerra. It's Authentic Biochemistry Podcast. Today is 18 December 2023. It's going to be a chapter number eight in our discussion of um, this system centering around lipoprotein lipase. Um, I thought I might be able to finish it last time, but all we did was set the stage for this paper. So let's do the paper I wanted to discuss. Remember, it's in... Um, Journal of Clinical Lipidology, and I'll put it in show notes, talks about a specific discrete disease in humans called hypertriacylglycerolemia. And of course, because it's high levels of circulating triasoglycerol, that could be a risk factor for cardiovascular disease. Now, there's a monogenic form of the disease that's been described. It's called familial chylomicronemia syndrome. That's a very rare disorder characterized by fasting chylomicronemia and a severe hypertriglyceridemia of greater than 10 millimole per liter. Okay, So this FCS... The familial chalomicronemia syndrome only affects about 1 in 100,000 to 1 in 1 million people, so it's very rare. And it does present very early in life, so it's, it's a terrible disease because it affects children. It's caused by a homozygous compound heterozygous or double heterozygous mutation in LPL. Or genes that regulate LPL, which ones? Was we've been talking about the last seven lectures. APOC2 uh, and also APOA5, which I mentioned a couple of times. And glycosyl anchored high-density lipoprotein binding protein. One, <clears throat> I don't think it helps to do the GPI-HBPI acronym there was. And another protein, which we have not really described in any great detail, is called lipase maturation factor 1, which is necessary for lipase act- activity. So LPL is, you know, present on capillary, w- can be found on capillary walls in all metabolic tissues, including skeletal muscle, cardiac muscle. And, you know, it hydrolyzes triacylglycerol, but only from lipoproteins, and that, What's subsequent to that is a partially reduced amount of triacylglycerol in circulation plus liberated free fatty acid directly into the tissue, which can be ectopic and therefore dangerous or dyslipidemic to those systems because of its accumulation. Now, a dyslipidemic Functional LPL will lead to obviously severe hypertriglyceridemia because you're not getting clearance of chylomicrons or, in some instances, VLDL. So, what they in this paper say is that one of the really common health risks, besides getting into the cardiovascular disorders that can occur in young patients, with FCS is pancreatitis. So that's gonna be high levels of stored triacyglycerol, either in the acinar cells of the pancreas or ectopically to them, And so that means inflammation of the the pancreas, and that can unfortunately lead to mortality in and of itself, uh, not even leading to um, pancreatic adenocarcinoma. Severe pancreatitis can be lethal. The other genetic type of hyperdryocyclosuralemias are due to the malfunctions then linked to what's known as the multifactorial chylomicronemia syndrome or MCS. That's what we've been talking about these last lectures, different forms of it, right? (laughs) And they declare in this paper that this is where we talk about heterozygous mutations in some of the candidate genes we've already discussed. And so along with that is high levels of circulating triacylglycerol. Now, you know from the previous lectures that that in and of itself is a patho event. And I also want you to note that several of the papers we've covered have been trying to lean into a discussion of increases in circulating cholesterol as playing the major role. Now, li- now lipoprotein lipase does not react with cholesterol. The enzymes for cholesterol synthesis uh, are all of course occurring, for example, in the hepatocyte But once cholesterol is formed, it's a sterified fatty acid, remember where that fatty acyl ester cholesterol is found in the chylomicrons. found buried in the core. It's not on the surface. Only free cholesterol is on the surface of circulating um, chylomicrons or VLDL, okay? And that surface-associated cholesterol of lipoproteins is the cholesterol that can be transferred to such systems as the endothelia and also to other cells in circulation such as the macrophages remember the diapoesing macrophages with the oxysterols generating foam cells remember that whole story it was a couple of lectures back actually a couple of biomedical portraits back but I've talked about it so many times I'm sure you recall what I'm saying all right so that's why this paper's intriguing to me. Also, they did some really good work. They wanted to look at the lipoprotein profile in these HTG um, patients. So they used HPLC mass spec, and that gave them kind of a broad understanding of all the different apolipoproteins they were dealing with in circulation, okay? They also used NMR. And with the NMR, they wanted to determine, quantify lipoprotein subclasses. And they wanted to look at lipid composition. They used NMR. not too sure why they didn't go uh, with, uh, even back to the LC mass spec, but maybe it's because they wanted to develop NMRs and the technique for this. And nothing wrong with that. So they, they combined both kinds of research uh, methods. They used NMR and they used lc mass spec okay so that's where we're at now again talk about the inborn error of metabolism in htg there is going to be a loss of function mutation and the loss of function mutation can be homozygous so both copies are corrupted but it can also be Heterozygous or double heterozygous, working on different genes, you see. So the quantity of these individual gene products plays a role in the disease severity. And again, what are we talking about? LPL, terms of the genes, LPL, APOC2, APOE5, and the GPI HBP1. Remember that tethers little protein lipase. So, all right, so that I think that's all you need to know about most of this. Now, they use multiplex LCMS. And again, they quantified which shape of lipoproteins. They looked at APOB total, APO b And they did not look at APOB48. Well, yes, they did. They did look at apob B48. Okay. It's, they, they use a different technique for that, though. For example, they didn't use the LC mass bag. They, <laughs> they used a, uh, an ELISA method for APO b 40 That's kind of funny. But okay. And they also looked at several APO A fractions APO A1, 2, 4. Then they looked at APO C1, and 2, and 3. And so they were looking at multiple Apo proteins that we had just discussed. The NMR, they did, again, lipoprotein subclass. Both, they wanted to look at the quantity and they wanted to look at the distribution of the different types of that, t- that technique. <laughs> and I won't go into details of how they were doing it. Um, subsequent to that, subsequent to this lecture, sometime I will go into the various mechanics of these methods. I think a while back I did cover NMR uh quite extensively i think i talked four or five lectures just on nmr as a technique so i'm not going to do that right now this is a all proton nmr type experiment not going to tell you but they used, uh the details of the spec but it was a Bruker uh device all right so they had seven patients told you it was rare with what they're calling genetic i would call inborn error metabolism They had six males, one female, um, and they had various uh, ranges of BMI, but they were relatively low. They also had 10 normal lipidemic lipidemic controls. Those were all men, and they were all uh, between 23 and 24 years old, and their BMI was the same. The BMI they were looking at for these seven people was all... Uh, 24 plus or minus a couple of uh, data points. So pretty low BMI. These were not obese people and neither were the controls, okay? So the, take a look at those seven. Two patients, homozygous mutations in LPL. One patient, homozygous mutation in the GPI-HBP1. One patient with a double heterozygous mutation in two genes ApoC2 and LPL, remember, those are going to be additive in terms of the disease severity. They had a heterozygous mutation just in ApoA5 and ApoC2. Then they had one patient with heterozygous mutation in A5 together with ApoE2. Okay, So you can see how they're, they're, this is what they uh, ended up finding in terms of their screening. They looked at circulating triacylglycerol concentration, and they found, of course, it was higher in patients that had the disease, 16-fold higher. Okay, so that's quite a bit. That would definitely be hyper-triacylglycerolemia, 16-fold higher. So somewhere as close to 14 millimole per liter versus about 0.9 millimole per liter. So, wow. Okay. uh, Cholesterol concentration was higher in patients also with the HTG, but this was much less significant, probably not hardly significant even statistically. Uh, About a one point five fold difference. So was that fifty percent right? The HDL cholesterol concentration was lower, and again not by much. Uh, Somewhere is about thirty to forty percent, I would say. And the patients with this genetic hypertricyclycerolemia did have higher concentrations of non-HDL cholesterol. I'm going to explain what that is in a minute. But again, it's only about twofold. okay? I mean, compared to the 16-fold increase in triicyclycerol, which of those two metrics you think is going to have the major effect on the pathobiochemistry, pathophysiology? If you're thinking triicyclycerol, then you're thinking like me. So they did a graph where they looked at the concentration of um, various tricyglycerol levels, looking at all these different patients and then the normal lipidemic, lipidetic patients. And what they found was that, for example, those that had mutations in the, let's see, let's pick one out, APOA5 tended to have the higher concentration of triacylglycerol. And that was very similar to patients that had one of the LPL mutations. All the others clustered below that, um, but that's primarily what they found. So they looked at triacylglycerol, total total cholesterol, HDL cholesterol, and again, the non-HDL cholesterol. Again, you already get the feeling of what's going on here. The uh, the patients all had high tag and relatively higher levels of cholesterol, but not that much more. Certainly doesn't look statistically significant, although they do declare it is. With that sample size, I don't know how they were able to pull that off. Let's say they did. I mean, when you have seven patients that have the disease and 10 that don't, it's a really small end number. Now, let me explain a little bit about lipid transport on lipoproteins. Okay, so you have a, a significant enzyme to discuss that we have talked about in the past, I know, but I know that you don't necessarily have all of my lectures memorized, which is not surprising. <laughs> I don't even have them all memorized. I just have them all internalized, you see. Now, there's a really important enzyme besides lipoprotein lipase, and that it's not just, but here's another one, hepatic lipase right which which is secreted by the liver but there's also Lcat okay now LPL and hepatic lipase are all found in the same family that pancreatic lipase is found okay and you know there's a pro lipase for the pancreatic lipase but say I talked about in the past but let's talk about Lcat LCAT, we mentioned last time, is lecithin cholesterol acyl transferase, acyl transferase, and it is involved in the sterification of free cholesterol, not really necessarily free in solution, of course, free in association with plasma lipoprotein. Yes, plays a very significant role, LCAT does, in HDL metabolism because we know that deficiencies of LCAT lead to the accumulation of the nascent pre-beta HDL, just a sub-isoform of HDL, and that's due to an impaired maturation of the HDL particles. Enhanced expression of LCAT is associated with formation of very large ApoE rich HDL1 particles. And I will also mention, besides its effect on lipoproteins, LCAT's also very important to drive macrophage reverse cholesterol transport into the endothelia, as we've talked about before, the foam cell story. So now you know a little bit more about LCAT. I'm going to tell you more about it later, okay? lpl remember it's expressed in lots of different tissues it's very significant in the adipose and striated muscle um it can it's typically found in principal cells like adipocytes as you know in myocytes you can also find it secreted we talked about that secreted and it can end up on the endothelial surface and that's where that gbh protein is involved remember the the uh leash that's associated with binding to the LPL so that it can function at the endothelial surface, okay? And, you know, and and that involves also movement around heparin sulfate on the surface of the cells, okay? And this includes chylomicrons being involved and VLDL. That's where lipoprotein lipase plays its most significant role. Now, hepatic lipase, Similar to lipoprotein lipase in terms of its activity, but not its regulation. Um, It's also bound to heparin sulfate on the surface of cells. And hepatic lipase, because as the name suggests, is only synthesized in the hepatocytes. And it can be transported to the hepatic endothelial cells and even to uh, endothelial cells in the adrenal and then adrenal glands and also in the gonads. It's been found there, okay? Now, its function doesn't seem to be nearly as potent as lipoprotein lipase. It doesn't get a whole lot of attention in the literature, although it has. And I, if I have time, I'll talk about it. But these lectures are all on lipoprotein lipase, so I'm going to try to emphasize that, right? Now, LCAT is responsible. Back to this LCAT for the synthesis of all the cholesterol esters in all of the plasma lipoproteins. So LCAT is transcribed, translated in the hepatocytes, just like hepatic is. It's secreted into circulation, and it typically is most functional on different subspecies of HDL where it sterifies cholesterol with a fatty acyl residue coming from lecithin, which of course I told you is phosphatidylcholine, the glycerophospholipid, right? Now, the cholesterol esters are rapidly transferred to acceptor lipoproteins by another protein, the cholesterol ester transfer protein, right? That's CETP. And typically, the acceptor is LDL, but you also get cholesterol esters on VLDL and HDL, okay? In fact, the ones from HDL that you find there are from LDL and VLDL after transfer, see? Now, APOD, apolipoprotein D, is associated with high-density lipoprotein on which LCAT-X. So if you have ApoD in the system, on remember, you can ornament the HDL with ApoD. Remember that. You can also ornament chylomicrons with it. But when ApoD is on an HDL, that's where you're going to find LCAT activity. Okay. Similar effect occurs with uh, retinal binding protein and ApoD, but we don't really need to go into that right now. Uh, maybe later. So, as you might guess, LCAT has been a target for investigating the pathogenesis of obesity linked cardiovascular disease. And it's, in fact, a really important enzyme for the reverse cholesterol transport pathway. Now, what is that reverse transport it's kind of that's a funny name my my view because it's not just the reverse transport but that is essentially what is considered the way that the circulation clears cholesterol sending it back to the liver Now, sending it back to the liver if the liver starts building up cholesterol is not clearing any patho i will remind you but Anyways, it's called reverse cholesterol transport because it's how HDL mediates the removal of excess cholesterol from peripheral tissues. And it also allows for the movement of cholesterol from macrophages, even those macrophages that are moving through the arterial wall. And when it functions correctly, LCAT via HDL that is LCAT, functioning to generate cholesterol esters and loading them onto HDL, HDL docking back to the liver, to its receptor. That cholesterol ends up being used, as I mentioned last lecture, for bile acid production. So it goes through biliary excretion, okay? Now, upon association of cholesterol with nascent discoidal HDL, remember we talked about these last time, the discoid HDLs, it becomes esterified by LCAD. And what happens is interesting. It partitions the cholesterol esters where, remember, these are very <coughs> hydrophobic substances, right? So where are they gonna be in the HDL just like they were in the chylomicron buried in the core. Okay. And when that happens, actually, the NDHDL particle, that is the nation discoidal HDL, now has been transformed into or converted to mature HDL3, HDL2 subclass lipoprotein particles. Now, when cholesterol is esterified in HDL, the LCAP maintains the gradient of free cholesterol on the surface between even the cellular membranes where the lipoproteins may be interacting with and within the hdl core so that means if it's functioning correctly lcat can be involved in a continuous movement from cho- of cholesterol from cellular membranes into the lipoprotein core and then ultimately transporting that cholesterol back to the cell that in a nutshell is the rct pathway Reverse cholesterol transport pathway. That's why when you hear about cholesterol HDL, right? Well, if there's a lot of cholesterol in HDL, they have to tell you if it's free or cholesterol ester. Because if it's free, that cholesterol can be added right back to a membrane. Right? In other words, it's directly into the macrophage. Right? So if that happens, it's not giving any positive effect on clearing cholesterol. Right? you understand that. Very important to make that distinction. Okay. And just remember that this whole process means that LCAT seems to be the important enzyme for delivering cholesterol to the liver, ultimately for cholesterol degradation pathway leading to bile acid production, which would make it then to the intestine and bile acids aid in the emulsification of dietary triacylglycerol, along with possible sphingolipids and whatever cholesterol could be in the diet. So they're interested in LCAP because it's involved in HDL activity, as I'm explaining to you, but it's also possibly, when it's not working correctly, like when it's deficient, in increasing the amount of oxysterol LDL which you know is much more of a potent atherosclerotic substance event than free cholesterol. So it has to be oxidized. So cholesterol is not an agent of atherosclerosis. Oxysterol is. So you can, you know, again, people have argued, well, isn't that still cholesterol? No, it's oxysterol. So you have to have that. Um, Cyclophenanthrene ring oxidized for it to occur in an atheroma. And if it's not oxidized, it won't. And that reaction, that, that oxysterol activity is not going to occur unless there's a long residence time of free cholesterol, free cholesterol on the surface of circulating lipoproteins. Which again could mean a deficiency or a corruption of LCAT activity. That part, of course, is uh, a, a, a possible discussion we could have, right? So the terminal catabolism of partially degraded chylomicron, meaning a chylomicron remnant, is is mediated by receptor dependent endocytosis, as I've been saying, right? So there is a unique CR receptor, chylomicron remnant receptor at the liver. Now HDL binds with high affinity to sites on that hepatocyte. It seems like HDL is binding possibly to the remnant chylomicron receptor. Hence, when there is an abundance of chylomicron remnant because of LPL deficiency or corruption or any of the antagonizing or agonizing activities on LPL activity in situ, right? The higher concentration of circulating chylomicron, chylomicron remnant, VLDL, VLDL, VLDL remnant can compete with HDL docking on the liver. Meaning that even if you're measuring HDL cholesterol, there could still be atherosclerosis, even associated with HDL, if that cholesterol is not sterified to a fatty acid. That's why it's not appropriate to simply say, hdl cholesterol number is something of by itself a unique and very valuable metric for considering cardiovascular disease cardiovascular is primarily the result of dyslipidemia only one component of that being oxysterol yes that's the whole point okay i keep on emphasizing right so they measure the apolipoproteins and L- using, LP- uh, using LC mass spec. Let me take a look here. Oh, okay, I'm almost out. I'm glad I looked at the time. I didn't want to be cut off. Looks like we're going to have to do one more lecture here on LPL. That's fine. Um, this is Dr. Dan Guerra, authentic biochemistry uh, podcast on eighteen December twenty twenty three. That makes it a Monday. Um, Saying bye for now.